We're talking about politics today in the next four weeks, which is awesome, right? I'm sure everybody's pretty pumped up to hear what we're going to say about who should be the president, who should be our representatives and stuff. But we're not going to be really talking about those politicians. We're going to be talking about the politics of God's kingdom and what it looks like in a world of American politics. So do you know how many days it is until we elect our next, our next president? Less than 60. It is 57 days and probably about 12 hours now until we find out who the next president of the United States is going to be. And I hope you do your part and you go out and you vote. I can't tell you who to vote for, and that's okay because I don't want to. But I just hope that you do your part. And is it important about who we elect? Some people will say it's not important. You know, they're just a figurehead for four to eight years. Uh, some people say it doesn't really affect us as Christians, but it, it is important. But why is it important for us as Christians? Is it important for us because we want to advance the Christian agenda in America? Is it because we want to liberalize our, liberalize our government or make it more conservative? Do we want to expand or shrink the role of government? Do we want to be the world police or not? Do we want to believe people from other nations should seek refuge here? Should our military grow? Should it shrink? Should we allow gun control, no gun control? Does a woman have a right to choice? Public or private prisons, tough on crime or rehabilitation, legalized marijuana or not, universal health care, free college education, fossil fuels or renewable energy. Now, those are all the topics that I could think of that somebody probably has a very strong opinion on. And that's okay. We're all individuals. And we're all going to have varying ideas of what those topics should look like. Should we have a differing opinion on what those topics should look like, though? I don't know, I guess it depends on which Christian you talk to and which denomination you talk to. If you're curious about the Nazarene positions, we have them in our manual about a lot of these, a lot of these topics. Uh, and I can point you to those. But I guess the big question for us is, when we're looking at all these issues and we're worrying about these issues, where do we place our trust? Where is our trust being placed? Is it being placed in the American political system? Well, if it is, I'm here to tell you going to be a rough ride for you. Only because every four to eight years we replace the top representative of our country into the White House. Every four to eight years there's a, there's a change. There's a change of personnel. And if you believe that Trump or Clinton or Johnson or even the far out candidate Stein is going to save you and make the world a better place for you as a Christian, uh, it's not going to happen. It might feel a little bit better for a second, but it's not going to happen. Even God's chosen people, the Israelites, were persecuted and had to be rescued. We heard that in our first reading this morning by Diane. She had to send Moses to the people for persecuting. It's going to happen. We're going to be persecuted. We're prepared for it. That's, how we, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have sermons. That's why you read the word of God. But... I say this all to say our time on earth here is limited. On this side of heaven, our time is limited. We should care, I guess, probably about what we're going to do for our kids and their, their future and the future generations. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying our time here is limited. And I say that we are supposed to put our trust in one thing and in one kingdom above all others, and that's God's kingdom. Our trust is that Jesus came for all the sinners of the world, which is everybody, 
came for all the sinners of the world and died for their sins so we could experience eternal salvation and sanctification. That's what our trust is in. We should serve only one kingdom above all others, and that's God's kingdom. Here's what we're looking at. We're in Matthew. If you want to turn to Matthew, chapter 6 is the first one we're going to be hanging out in. And here's what's important about Matthew. Uh, Matthew is one of the disciples. He was called from a tax collector booth. And we, it's, it's kind of interesting. A lot of times we can't relate to jobs in the Bible necessarily. Like a, but we can with Matthew because how many people here, raise your hand, if you are a fan of the IRS? Nobody, right? Nobody. It's a necessary function for our government to work. But nobody's a fan of them because... You always feel like they're out to get you. They take your money. Uh, okay. Well, Matthew was one of these guys. Except it was even worse in his time because he was a Jew that was working for the Roman government, collecting taxes for Caesar. And if you know anything about that, Rome is like the ultimate bad guy in the Bible. Like, uh, we don't like Rome. In Jesus' time, no good. So he's collecting money for them. So people are feeling like they're betraying, or Matthew's betraying his, uh, his culture and his people. So he doesn't have a lot of friends. All of his friends are other tax collectors. If they're even friends, they probably don't even like each other. Right? And he worked for the government. We just don't, we don't like the IRS, and we just don't like people who work for the government generally. We just don't trust them, I think, is what we're kind of turning to in this day and age. But what's so interesting about his point of view is that the, the, old, the aim of his gospel was to let the Jews know that Jesus is truly the Messiah. That's what he came to do. His gospel is for this. He's convincing the Jews. He uses kind of the same arguments that the Jewish uh, people would use at that time, the same literary structures. But he also had a separate message, and that was to the Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, that just means non-believers. We just label a whole group of people as non-believers. But Gentiles in that time were non-believers. He let all of them know that there was, there was salvation for them too. Jesus came for them as well. So we know from last week that Jesus even preaching this message, or anybody preaching this message that Jesus came for everybody, uh, they wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't like it. They didn't like it after Jesus died and rose again and people were spreading this message out. They wanted to kill his believers. So this message was not really jiving with uh, the people who quote-unquote knew the law. But it's important for us sometimes, I think, to look at this to make sure that we're not like the people who are trying to persecute the true believers, that we aren't the people who are sitting in this brick building right here and thinking that salvation is only for us or only for America or only for our NATO allies or only for anybody who's not from the Middle East. Because the message of Matthew is that Jesus came for the Gentiles too. So if you're in Matthew 6, we're going to look at verses 31 through 34. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which is up on the screen, I believe. Uh, your translation may be a little bit differently, but that's okay. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. Today's troubles are enough for today. Let me see another show of hands. How many people here are currently worried about something or anxious about something? I am. 
a lot of stuff. Okay, some of you, good. For those of you who aren't, good for you. I'm gonna come hang out with you and give you some of what I got. For me, it's because I have a lot on my plate right now, and that's okay, I recognize the season was gonna come, and it will end shortly, but I am teaching, I am pastoring, I am having another kid. I have one kid under one. I have another kid that's coming, right? So that's exciting. Uh, And then I am also learning. I am also going back to school. I have two more classes to my first master's degree is done. Um, So I currently worry every once in a while. If I catch myself, I try and stop. Because we are told not to worry. Some translations say don't be anxious. Anxious to me means a little bit more fidgety, right? You just like, you just got to do something about it. It says, God knows you, God knows you, and he knows that you need things to survive on this earth. He knows that you need water, he knows that you need food, he knows that you need clothes ever since Adam and Eve messed that all up, right? Otherwise, you'd be walking around naked, so thankfully, uh, I mean, it would be perfect if that hadn't happened. But he knows we need these things, he knows you need things to survive, he created you, he's not a blind and, and dumb guy, right? He knows the these things. But what we're told is not to even worry about those things, which seems so stressful sometimes. In a world that uh, rampant poverty is just kind of taking over sections of our city, people worry about these things. But we are told that we should seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and then he will give you everything that you need. That's pretty powerful. And it's kind of scary to tell somebody, live righteously and seek God and he'll provide you what you need. But isn't that the message sometimes people need to hear? That if you are seeking God, if you're seeking God and you're living righteously, you're not going to do things that probably prevents you from having food and clothes and money. We talked about last week, we prayed for deliverance and that was this week's prayer was deliverance and It was breaking my heart, I don't know if you saw the story, uh, about the two parents who were found in their car, Uh, they had OD'd, and they were on their way to the hospital, and they had a four-year-old in the back. And it breaks my heart because people shouldn't live like that. We should not be looking for our healing and our love and our, our help through drugs that, that hurt us, but and there's a little kid that sees that. We have to break the cycle. We've got to break the cycle. But we can't be anxious, and that's so hard to do. Right? That is so hard to do, church, to not be anxious about things because we're human. But what we're told also is that the unbelievers focus solely on that. They focus solely on that. I love to hear the prayers of Malisha and the Gillespie family is, is uh, looking for a job because they're so faithful that God's provided. Patty, Patty was faithful, God provided food, her bills. AJ's told many stories about him being faithful and God has provided. Church, that's why we read things about this generosity statement in the back. We talk about all these amazing things that God is doing in people's lives. But that's not to say, and hear me, that you will not be free from suffering because the Bible tells us and God tells us through the writers of the Bible that there will be suffering. You will experience pain and discipline. 
So just because God's going to provide for you doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable, all right? When we're distracted by worldly things and things that we worry about that are on this earth, we miss the, the distinction or the, the opportunity to serve God's kingdom. When we're worried about anything, that chunk of time or that chunk of brain space is being used for that instead of what can God teach me through this or what can I do for God to rectify this situation. We're going to talk next week about how the church can uh, interact with the community. And we're going to do a little bit this week. And it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not by worrying people into doing what you want them to do. <laughs> All right. So let's step away even for a second. This might be blasphemous, but we're going to step away from the Bible. And we're going to look at worrying in terms of just your health. So we're going to turn to this little-known place called Harvard. And this is what happens when you worry. It causes physical symptoms. When, when anxiety persists in the absence of a need to fight or flee, it cannot only interfere with our daily lives, but also undermine our physical health. Evidence suggests that people with anxiety disorders are at a greater risk for developing a number of chronic medical conditions. They may also have more severe symptoms and a greater risk of death when they become ill. That's what worrying does to your body. Worrying elevates your blood pressure, makes your heart beat faster, and that's no, that's no good. In this passage, so the words I read from Mark 6 are words from Jesus himself. So remember we talked about kairos all summer. So this is the moment where God is breaking in and teaching somebody something. So this is directly from Jesus. He's telling us, I believe, that uh, he's letting us know what we should find important in the world. We should not trust in the world to provide for us because we are not living for the world. Our trust is not in earth. Our trust is in God. That's who we're living for because that's who's going to provide for us. That's why every, every week when we pray for the offering and I say thank you for giving us this stuff, let's give it back to you, that's because it's not our stuff in the first place. It's what God has provided for each, and one, each one of you. Kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. Empires have risen up and empires have been crushed. But God has been and will be He will be. All the way from the beginning of time, all the way till now, God has not changed. People turn to Jesus or turn to God, and they turn away from him. And what happens if we just look at the Old Testament? What happens in the Old Testament? Judges come, and prophets come, and then people are wiped out. Our trust is not in the United States of America. Our trust is in God. The USA is 200 plus years old, right? We are very, very young. But I promise that there will be a day in the future, maybe not in our lifetimes, maybe not for the next thousand years, that it will not, it won't be. And that's just a cycle of things. The Roman Empire probably thought they were going to exist forever too, and they're no more. Any empire you look at comes and goes. One kingdom has stayed through it all, God's kingdom. Just as important as what we put our trust in is how we go about changing the world. That's just as important. So the, the end product, which is trust in God's kingdom is important, but just as important is the means to the end or how we get there, how we show our trust in God's kingdom. Because our mission is much, much bigger than choosing a Christian candidate every four years, right? We can't just vote once every four years and then sit on our butts and expect 
that one person to make Christianity great, all right, and to make God's kingdom come here on this earth. Because again, I think you're going to be disappointed. So turn with me, please, to Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. Again, I'll be reading from the NLT version, which should be up here. And you can read from whatever version you have. All right. Verse 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast of a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three, measurements, three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. The word of the Lord. Amen. So this passage of scripture, like if you read the 13, it's like parable after parable after parable. Jesus said this, Jesus said that. And it's also right after the big parable of sowing the seeds on the ground. We won't get into that. But Jesus is really kind of firing off the illustrations here for us to understand what our faith should look like. The first illustration, I have a picture of a mustard seed, right? It's that little guy, really itty-bitty, and then it turns into this. That is a mustard bush. And I picked this one because this is like in the desert in the Middle East somewhere. This is probably what it looked like. But you can look at mustard seed trees, and that thing is like, it's massive. From that little seed, that's what comes out of it. All right. The second illustration, I read it says three measures of flour. If you have a different translation, it might say 60 pounds of flour. Uh, so I was curious. I'm not a baker, so I don't know how much yeast to use for bread. So I just typed in yeast bread recipe on Google. That's my research for this part. And it popped up a quick, a quick yeast bread recipe. Three measures is 60 pounds of flour which equals 240 cups of flour. All right, for that much, you need six cups of yeast. That means for every 40 cups of flour, you have one cup of yeast, 40 to one ratio. Very little does so much. I believe what we're being told here is we don't need much to do something great. We don't need, we don't need to be the size of a megachurch to impact the community that we live in. We don't need to grow into five massive megachurch campuses to change our community. What I also mean to say is, is we're not called necessarily to take over public offices and change the world through politics. You don't need to be the mayor of a town or a city council representative or a state representative to change the world to look more like God's kingdom. If that's your calling, that's great. If you're going to run for office, that's awesome. But make sure that that's God's calling for you and not your calling that you're going to put God into to get some, some votes. I was talking to a lady on Friday. We had our last movie night. And I was talking to a lady and who owned the uh, shop right across the street. Uh, this little tan building, if you've been there, you pay attention. It has no windows. And... Uh, she was talking about the park and how it's changed drastically. And this is not the first conversation I've had with somebody 
about the park. I just thought her perspective was really interesting. She said, when they first opened up that shop, they were there, nobody came to the park. It was just, nobody went there, nobody hung out there. And then, she said, they started getting mowed. People started mowing the park, and then more people started coming out. She goes, then one day I came out, and there were these pavilions, you know, these shelters put up, like, so fast. She was amazed. And she goes, then the picnic tables were put up, and she goes, and all these people started coming to hang out in the park. And then she goes, we work seven days a week, so every Sunday morning, I would come up and I would see a group of people meeting in the park on Sunday morning. I was like, oh, hey, that's our church. That's pretty cool, you know? So she hung out. She had a hot dog. And we got to talk to her little kid, and we went over to talk to her and her, her, uh, her man. But none of us here, none of us here worked for the city. None of us here relied on the city to get things done. If you ask Jackie and Mike, that's going to be a failing a failing pursuit to call the city and ask them to come out and do something, right? It is, it's rough. Simple things, cutting the grass, cutting down extra tree limbs that shouldn't be there, you know. It is, it is not hard. And all that took was a simple idea to start cutting the grass and one person to believe that we could make a difference in that park. And now, people notice that we meet in that park, and that's a part of God's kingdom. That was our church. That was our church building all summer long. And I'm here to tell you that next summer is going to be our church building too. And the summer after that, and the summer after that, that's going to be our church building. And we didn't sit down together as a church, and we didn't sit down together as a board and talk about all these great strategies of how we're going to make this happen. We weren't like, well, if we, let's look at the demographics here. It took one person, a mustard seed, to change that neighborhood. And it's growing. We're not done there. We are not done there, church. God's not done with that little part of his kingdom. And we get to be the tools, the hands and feet that fix that. Or to help him, to help him build it back up. We didn't need... We didn't need to go to the city, and that's okay. That's okay that we own stuff. We worry about sometimes, I think we, and I think this all the time, I'm a teacher, right? Full-time is my full-time gig as a teacher. So I have all these rules about talking about church, you know, and they're pretty loose, you know, nobody really gives me a hard time, and that's okay. I accept those as part of the government that we're a part of. But we worry sometimes, I think, as a church, too much about these imaginary red tapes that we can't cross, Church, I'm here to tell you, dream big. There is nothing that we can't do when we trust in God. The city could have said, no, you can't run that park here at church. It could have said that. But it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. That's what I was always told in the army. So. But sometimes we just have to be the church. Be bold. Go out and do something great for the kingdom of God. Not to boost yourself up takes the idea of one person. We have leaders in this church. We just commissioned six leaders, seven leaders, into small groups. Those are people for that mission of the kingdom of God. Those, those seven people are for that mission. Every single one of you has something you can contribute to the kingdom of God that you do better than everybody else here. It's up to you to be that mustard seed for that ministry. Let me tell you something else, church. We're here, to, we're here to meet as a group of believers, 
But if you find, like, you're doing something great over here, and it's not, like, Hope Community affiliated, but it's for the kingdom of God, dang it, keep doing that. I mean, don't let the rules of church confine the work that you do for the kingdom of God because your trust should not be in this church either. It should not be in Hope Community Church East Toledo Campus or the Oregon Campus or the Nazarene Church. It should be in God. That is where your trust should be. We have all those important issues we should worry about, that long list I gave at the beginning. But they pale in comparison to what Jesus tells us we should care about. That's the kingdom of God. When you seek after the kingdom of God and you do so righteously, things will probably work out. Just how God works. He uses people. Sometimes it's painful. But you know what? Time on earth is limited, and then you get to go spend eternity with the Creator. I mean, how amazing is that? If you can't look forward to that, then I'm going to challenge you. Let's have a conversation. I always think back to a story that when we were in Afghanistan, we had a guy that was dangerous job, obviously, because we're in the middle of a war zone. But this guy, he was always so calm, and he was always so cool and collected, and never really worried about anything on the surface. And you'd ask him why. And he says, well, I know that if I am killed, that I will go meet my creator, and that's okay. I have trust in God that he will provide for me, and he will do what he wants. And that trust in God goes well beyond, well beyond white middle-class America. It goes for every single person God has ever created. And if you believe... God is a creator that is every single person that has ever walked this earth. So I, I really appreciate the prayer today that Malisha said that we should pray for the victims of 9-11 because that's so important and they are hurting. But please do not forget the people who don't believe in Jesus. We live in a broken world and bad things are going to happen to us. But don't be driven by fear because we have hope and belief in Jesus Christ that he took away the sins of the world. We're not called to be anxious, and we're not called to do what will fix it the quickest, which a lot of times politicians and politics will promise quick fixes that won't last very long. I mean, you look at anything any president has ever done, they can make these executive orders. Any president has the power to do this. And it could last, if he did it from day one of walking into the office, it could last for eight years. And then day one... The next president could say, that's enough of that. We are not in it for the quick fix. If you believe that Jesus came and you believe that God has a kingdom that he wants you to be a part of, it's going to be a long haul and that's okay. That's why we meet together as believers. That's one of the reasons, so we don't get discouraged with each other. Slow and steady wins the race. The tortoise, the tortoise, the tortoise in the hare, slow and steady wins the race. And let me give you a little secret. And don't be surprised, Revelation people, but God wins. God wins in the end. God wins. God wins. I'm sorry. I, spoiler alert, but God wins. <laughs> I want to read one last quote from John Wesley. And if you don't know who Wesley is, he's kind of a big deal for us. We are a Wesleyan Arminian church denomination. There's Wesley churches all over the place. He founded Methodism, and we come from Methodists. So we kind of like this guy. He's kind of one of our church 
founders, if you will. This quote is, he advised those who had votes in the ensuing election to vote without fee or reward for the, reason they for the person they judged most worthy, to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and that could be difficult, I'm sure, and to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Because right now, our country is kind of divided. We have a lot of people, I don't advise that you do this, but put, I mean, just put a bumper sticker on for either of the parties and see what happens to your car. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be pretty. People are angry and fired up about politics. I had a guy come to my door yesterday and ask me about politics and stuff. We had a little conversation. I said, man, this guy is out walking the streets to talk about somebody they will never meet with the hope that they're going to do something great for this country. And they might. They might. We have somebody better to tell them about, somebody above all the politics. And guess what? After the election, after 57 days from now, after that, we, don't, we all have to go back to living. We have to go back to intermingling with these people that we're hating right now or speaking out against and all these Facebook posts about one side or the other side. When you look at somebody and you think, man, this person's an idiot for voting this way, before you think that, or hopefully you get to think it before, remember that God came and sent his son for that person too. All right, would you pray with me, church? Father God, thank you for being timeless. Thank you for rising above the politics of this world. Forgive us if we get swept up in meaningless debates about stuff that won't even matter on the other side of heaven. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the world how you see the world. And that's with love and caring and understanding and, and just a parent's view on his creation. Let us see the world like that, God. Let us rise above worldly politics and reach across to our fellow human beings and just teach them that there is a king above all other kings. As we go through this series, God, I just pray that you, you shape people's hearts and you soften their hearts so they can hear the message that you are speaking into this world. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your reconciliation. And we just pray that as people go out and care about the worldly issues, Lord, that it's not something that overtakes their whole life, that they forget about you and puts you in the back seat. We pray this all in your name. Amen.